Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I'm here in Scottsdale, Arizona at the home of Cody Nelson, the Go Hunt Optics Manager at Go Hunt Gear Shop. And we've also got Cortland Thood here. He's the Territory Account Manager for Zeiss Sport Optics. Guys, we've had a great podcast uh, before, and I look forward to having you guys on again and uh, doing some chatting here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having uh, having us on, Jay. This is great, and uh, it's uh, looking forward to always uh, hashing it out with Mister Cortland Thud. Hashing it out once Thud. again. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me back on. Looking yeah. forward to uh, diving into this stuff and see what we can, what uh, we can do. By the way, just so you know, uh, he's the one without a beard this time. Well, I'm the beardless one. Jay's the beardless one today. Yeah, yeah must be something in the water. Guys, uh, we're going to have a great uh, episode today. We're going to talk a lot about Zeiss. We're going to answer a bunch of listeners' questions. Uh, On the way over here, I got a question from a listener, and he was basically saying that the uh, December coos deer hunt starts for him tomorrow, and I know there's a lot of guys that listen that the coos deer seasons are kicking off. You know, we've had the October seasons, the November, the early December seasons. Now we're kind of in that late hunt period where – you know, people call it the rut hunt. Uh, you know, I argue that, you know, typically the deer don't rut till later after Christmas and, and definitely rut a lot in January. But he asked, uh, you know, basically, do you have any last minute tips for me? And so I send him a couple messages um, on those situations. I like to kind of just press the button and actually talk to the person. So he, you know, gets to hear my voice, gets to hear the inflection and, and tried to point out some things on field judging, tried to point out some things on tactics, but I thought I would just go ahead and, and say it here and then let you guys kind of weigh in. You guys are both avid coos deer hunters. You know, I think one of the things uh, to answer the question is I think a lot of guys go out early and they go hard and they go hard for the first week, maybe 10 days. And the that's great. And a lot of great bucks get killed in that time frame. Mm-hmm. But I also see a lot of guys go out early and they go so hard that they burn up all their they vacation time. Burn they yep. burn up their time with their wife of, you know, honeydew time. And then when the hunting gets really, really good after Christmas, it seems that there's Christmas obligations, New Year's obligations, all those sorts of things, but they've kind of burned their time early. Mm-hmm. So I try and tell people uh, to go the first couple days, get a feel for it. You know, if, if you don't have the time to hunt the whole period, mm-hmm. to kind of strategize on when is the most effective time. Granted, I think the first couple days could be great. You could catch those bucks that have had a little bit of a break from, you know, some of the other seasons. Yep. yep. Uh, but then I think it's important that you focus on when those deer are going to be most out in the open, right. most potentially chasing does. And I think we would all agree the beauty of these late December hunts activity. are that late, that, that activity Absolutely. in that late period of time. Yep. So that was one of the things I pointed out. Um, and, and the other thing was as that hunt progresses, there's a transition where, all of a sudden, just one day you wake up and there's deer just really all over the hillsides. They're a lot more visible. Um, bucks are chasing does almost like a flip of a switch. The other yep. thing is like sometimes I've seen it where you can bounce around in different pockets. Yep. You know, one of the nice things I like about some of the 22s, 23s, 21s, 6As, 
uh, some of those types of units, you can hit you can hit on the highways or the freeways yeah. and be from, you know, you can be 25 miles away and maybe hit a pocket that's rutting and then pop down and there's nothing going on. So you pop back up to where they're rutting. Yep. Um, in southern Arizona, I don't see that quite as much where they get pockety like that. But if you, if you guys are listening and you have a unit where um, you can access different parts of the unit and just see what's shaking, see what's going on and kind of monitor their behavior, that might put you right well, on a pocket where the deer that, are going to be running. My thing when you said that, like just in the very beginning, is big views. I want to take in as much country as Absolutely. possible and get the biggest look I can get. And, and look for the pockets of does because that's going to dictate, like, you know, what's going on over there versus what's going on. It could be ridge to ridge, let alone, you know, you know 25 miles away. So I, I think it's, it's, it's literally being able to, to, you know, don't put all your – unless you've got, like, a really big buck located right. and you've seen them – Or that, you have a, an area that, that you yeah, specifically that, want whole, to hunt the yeah, whole time. that's a whole yeah. different deal. I get it. But if you're just out and you haven't had the time to scout, I'm looking for big views and I, you know, put the glass out and let it walk and let it, you know, let's just see what's going on. And, and don't just dis- take the temperature and don't get discouraged when you're seeing those does. Cause especially on this December hunt, you see those does the first week, there may not be any bucks around, but like Jay was saying, flip of a switch, yep. there could be five bucks chasing the same four or five does in a week. Yeah. And so. I think you make a good point there, Cortland, like, seeing does you feel like well shoot there's just five does there's nothing going on but That's literally like, you could come back in seven days or honey. 10 days yep and there's like you said five bucks chasing yep. one doe yep. all, it, all it takes is that one hot doe to bring those bucks in so. right and well, and focusing too on these early days like where are the doe groups what's going on on the hillsides mm-hmm. what's their behavior um you know our small bucks nosing around and with does that might give me an indication that hey that little, you know, 75-inch buck is really nosing that doe. Yeah. It's very possible that maybe a big buck might be there the next day. So I like to do kind of like what Cody was saying, like kind of just spot check and just seeing what's shaking. Yep. Um, but then as the hunt progresses and, as, you know, from Christmas to New Year's, it, New Year's, if you can really focus on that time frame, you have a really good chance that you're going to find some mature deer literally nosing and chasing, chasing uh, well, does. Yeah. I think the other thing too, Jay, is, is I mean, it's such a, it, it, first of all, it's my favorite time of year. It's my favorite time to be out glassing from, you know, basically December on through, you know, into the February. But like when the hunt starts, because you got bow hunter starting tomorrow and a bunch of units and you got the, the rifle, uh, you know, early right or the, the late rifle deer tags. Um, and, and I think it's, you got to hunt when you can hunt. And, and I, you know, like we, I was talking to Rob Vanderkoy yesterday, his son's got the tag and, um, in a unit, uh, central Arizona. And, and so we were talking about it and, you know, you either like, well, we only have a certain amount of days and, and, you know, and it's all spread out. And I, I would rather have that than take all the days and just put them at the end and then get snowed out or weathered out. So yeah, or yeah. fogged out yeah, or fogged yeah. out, or, I mean, so there's a lot of, you know, uh, ambiguity to sometimes what you're doing, but yeah, I would always take the later days if, if it's, if it's going to be good weather. And I tell you what else that, um, we, that I, I think we were talking about before we actually started today, the moon, the, the brightest full moon is like over the next three days. Right. And I hate, I mean, look at, at the time of the rut, anything can happen. And I think the deer are going to be nor- more active period, but 
the moon is going to be, I mean, I, I, I woke up at like one o'clock, two o'clock this morning and I looked outside. I'm like, oh, I, you know, I, I didn't need a flashlight. I could yeah, see yeah. everything going on. So, um, well, and to add to that too, I mean, there's some people that don't really buy into the moon. They don't buy into the moon phases. I'm going to tell you that uh, I'm a hundred percent belief a- that if you're hunting coos deer in a full moon, yep. you're going to struggle. Now, one of the things that if, if, if you are hunting, during a full moon, in my opinion, the first hour or two of light is slow. Yep. But yeah. sometimes around 9, 930, all of a sudden the deer that have late, they've been up between, you know, two in the morning and five in the morning, yep. six in the morning. Then they lay down when mm-hmm. the sun is coming up and they lay there for a couple hours. Make sure you guys, during these full moon periods, especially when it's colder outside, make yep. sure you're glassing from 9 to 2 or 2 or two thirty, three o'clock. Yeah. And then also expect the last hour or two to not be prime time. Exactly. I see prime time when there's a full moon. I see it being from 9 to 3. Exactly. Yeah. And we actually experienced that on my, my November hunt this year. We had the full moon. It was 100% full the second day of the hunt. I ended up, I shot my buck the first afternoon. But we were watching deer stand up and rotate in their bed and lay back down at six thirty to seven o'clock in the morning. Yep. And we saw more bucks between ten and two yep. than we did any other time yeah, of day. That's, so that's yeah. textbook. Yep. That's it. you know, an, a couple other tips that I gave this gentleman too from a field judging perspective, and I'd like to get you guys to weigh in on it. Is you know, these late December hunts historically are periods of time when guys are seeing better bucks. In general, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is the temperature and it's cooler and they just happen to be up more. Yeah, they're more visible. Yeah, And I don't think they're buried in the brush quite as much. Um, but from a field judging perspective, I always like to tell guys on coos deer, point length is everything. So when you take the percentage of score over the, the history of bucks, the bucks that have the longest points score more. Yep, mm-hmm. The agree. next category is the main beams. So on the main beams, you want those beams to go out away from their head and to go, you know, get as much length and wrap around as possible. When you're looking at a buck head on, you want those beams to wrap around yep. and then you want them to tip up if possible, tip down. But if they can come within an inch or two, you've got, you know, an 18 inch main beam. So you've got 36 inches right there. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, you know, back to point link, like every point needs to look long in order for a buck to score really high. So there's those bucks that are wide and then, oh, but the points are short and they're only a three point, but a short eye guard, short G2, short G3, but it's Mm -hmm. wide. Well, width is the last bit of consideration when it comes to scoring credit as far as percentage of total score. Yeah. Like, I would rather have a buck that's 11 inches wide, but his points are, you know, he goes four, he goes nine, and he goes eight on his G2 and G3. Absolutely. And, you know, a good rule of thumb is you want seven plus G2s, you want seven plus G3s, you know, to get you in that hundred plus category. And the only other thing I'll add, and I'll let you guys jump in, is... Most every single buck over 100 inches when you are looking at binos, and I would even argue no matter how far of a distance, once they get 100 and above, they look pretty big. Yeah, they, they just, do. They have that, yeah. that boxy, brackety yeah. kind of... That frame that look. Frame just, look. You can just see that. Well, when you get that much antler, too, on a deer's head that's not 
realistically is not very big. It definitely makes them stand out, especially if you got two or three bucks together. Yeah. 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 yeah and, and, you know, body size is everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, and, and we're going to be talking about Zeiss optics here. And, you know, having good optics and the ability to be like, wow, that's a big frame. And he's got long points and look at his beams. I mean, that's where you're you're yeah. getting into bucks that are, you know, 100 plus category. For Try sure. to get as many angles on them as possible. And, and with that being said, if you get angles and you're like, eh, he doesn't look that good. Normally, like 100 inch plus bucks, they look pretty good, good, good no matter what yeah, angle. Absolutely. And they always look big walking away too. So Well, I was going to yeah, say that. Yeah. I, that was my next thing was <laughs> that, that, that the toughest angle to judge. Or, I think people get overexcited when they walk away from you. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, look how wide. And, I and, think that and, goes with every well, animal. Well, and they do, uh, and, they, right, and, yeah. they, and, and it's kind of funny, you know, because a lot of times if they're, especially if they're they're jumped or running away from me or doing, you know, they'll pin their ears back and everything looks wide when they, when they do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I keep saying one more thing. I get all fired up about this. But the other thing that I told the gentleman, especially on these December hunts, is glass with binos on a tripod, sit and use the sun in the morning as your advantage. So a lot of times you're looking at east-facing slopes. The sun's at your back. Um, you're you're looking with the sun yep. blowing the hill up, mm-hmm. g- glowing the hill, if you will. The deer are going to pop. But then as the day transitions, um, and obviously a lot of it depends on temperature, but as the day transitions, those deer will start seeking the shade pockets. and And so... An afternoon glassing session, you're going to see more deer if you can glass into the shaded pockets because mm-hmm. that's where the does and that's certainly where the bucks are going to be trying to get out of that that the heat of the sun. Absolutely. Well, it's funny that you say it because I was just looking, Jay. I, I looked at the weather where I'm going to be, and there's a, a 12 degree difference in the in the in the sunrise temperature, and <clears throat> so I think. A lot of times, too, if you should be in position, you should be glassing, you know, in that 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 twilight up to right up to the sunrise, but really use that sun because those deer will stand up and try to get. They will take every bit of warmth they can get, and they will absolutely stand there. And I've actually watched them stand up, get in the sun, get that you know kind of shake off and do their thing. And stay heated, and they'll lay right back down in the same spot and just sun there until they feel like it's, you know, it's time to go or move or stay there. Or, but um, I mean, it's you know where I'm going to be. It's going to be 28 degrees on on Monday, and it's it's 40 degrees on on Friday. So there, I mean, there's that's it's it's a big difference in temps. Yeah, and I mean, I think coos deer are a lot like bighorn sheep as well. They they have very thin thin hides. Uh, thin skin and I think they conserve energy better by actually laying and I notice this in Mexico a lot when I'm down there in the month of January on those really really cold mornings where we may get in the low 20s even sometimes the teens like for the first couple hours they're just going to be bedded yeah they can conserve more energy and stay warmer by actually laying yeah whereas I hear a lot of the midwest whitetail hunters and and back east where they say, oh, cold morning, those deer are on their feet. Well, our deer being thin-skinned, I see them laying yeah. in the sun. Mm-hmm. They'll get up, they'll go over, and they'll just lay so the sun is hitting them, and yep. they may lay there for two hours. Yeah, or, or all day, depending on, on how cool it is that day. Yeah. And if you have a little bit of wind, we found a more 
you know, late in the season, you tend to get a little bit more weather that moves in, especially end of December, mm-hmm. right around Christmas. And we've seen a lot of those bucks literally laid out in the sun all day if there's a decent wind going because they're, cons- I think they're conserving their, their energy, but they're also gaining as much heat as they can. So it's, uh, it's definitely, the, they've, they've definitely got a different attitude about things. I think one of the things that hit on the, <clears throat> on the late deer season, um, you know, there's people that say that killing a big buck and patterning a big buck on the, and I think patterning is probably the key word, but uh, finding a big buck like in the early seasons or like the youth hunt or, or whatnot in October. Um, you know, when the rut starts to come on and the later you get, if the big buck that you found or you had on camera or whatever, and he's not around, it, it you've got to broaden your 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 view whether you got to move to another side of the ridge or bigger you know can't or i I just would flat out tell people if he's not where you normally see him it's just the time of year they're more active they're they're moving more um you know i think if you go back to the old reports of of uh the game and fish and the studies they did i think you know their 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 uh their area like quadruples yeah, uh, I mean, so during this time period, like mid-December through yeah. the end of January, bucks can go just completely AWOL. The converse of that, though, is I think sometimes people have photos of a buck or they've seen a buck scouting and then they just go, oh, I didn't see him. He's not there. Yeah. I would argue until you've exhausted every yep. single mm-hmm. angle and you've made sure that that buck's not there, that then you broaden your search and continue looking, exactly. you know, I think that Richard Ockenfeld study uh, that you're talking about. Yeah, I was going to say it's the Ockenfeld. He shows like the 15th through the end of January. Sometimes those bucks can go like five miles. Yep. And five miles in Cooster country, as you know, is incredible. But the the flip side of that, though, is too, you might be glass in a basin and haven't seen anything. All of a sudden, a buck comes walking into your life that you're like, oh, I love you. Well, yeah, I I mean, there's – and I think that that's – it's been proven time and time again. How many guys do you know that have sat in the same spot and they, you know, they're, 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 they're not seeing the deer. And all of a sudden, you know, four days later, the deer just appears out of, you know, that I'm, if it's in the late season, I'm telling you, I'm, that deer was working his, you know, scrape lines or yeah. whatever he's doing, but he's looking for does and he just happened to cycle back through. Yeah. And so, you know, we call it running gun in the late season, cover as much ground as you can and hit those pockets like Jay was talking about, because yep. you just never know where those deer are going to pop up again if you, if you do lose a buck that you've been watching for sure guys um thanks for answering those cooster questions i hope some guys get some well, good luck out to of all of them because it's uh it's a great time of year just my it? favorite I'll time of it. year for sure absolutely love let's it. dive into some of these questions i sure. put out on instagram and guys that are listening uh really appreciate you guys sending in some questions and feel free you can always send me a direct message on instagram on my instagram account at j scott outdoors you can also always send me an email uh jscottoutdoors at gmail.com and uh courtland i really appreciate you uh being here uh we've had some great podcast episodes where you've answered a lot of people's questions about the zeiss product we've got here on the table uh, i noticed there's a handful of rifle scopes and you've got uh it looks like the victory rfs there you've got the conquest yep. hds You've got a, the spotting scope here. Is this the uh, Harpia? That's or the Harpia. Harpia, yes. okay. Harpia. Yeah, the 95. Um, so we've got a, a, a smattering of optics here from Zeiss, and, and it's always great to kind of put my hands on them. And 
and and what have you. Um, I, I've got to say before we dive into the questions, I've been using the Victory RF rangefinder, the ten by forty two. I've got that uh, back kind of early, late spring, early summer, and when I really started using it was at the Ot Six Ranch. Uh, basically there for the elk season I used it every day so you know for like 45 days and then I got back and was doing all my bighorn sheep hunts here in Arizona and I got to be honest um, you know most of the optics that I have are Swarovski optics Uh, you know one of the first pairs of binos that I ever got was the original 10 by 42 or 10 by 40 40 classic classic Zeiss and just (laughs) love those binoculars but I have to say uh, having the Swarovski EL range and having the Victory RFs, I mean, I get I've been getting a lot of questions on my Instagram Q and A about what rangefinder I use, and those Victory RFs they're amazing. Um, I you know I've just hats off to you guys for several things that I really like is the fact that the button is on the right side. It's mm-hmm. real easy. It's right there where where either my my flip flip off finger, my middle finger, or right. my ring finger is right there and can hit the button you get really good reaction time i like the fact that if i was per se left-handed that i could switch that button yes to the yep. other side as yep. well even though i like having it on the right side and that's one of the complaints that i had with the Swarovski el range is the fact that the button is on the left side yeah. and it's up in the front i love how the zeiss is on the on the um objectives or yeah the objective side down lower right where my right i guess my right ring finger hits and that's what i use to hit the range so from a speed perspective really enjoying that from an optical quality standpoint it's they've been great um and i i love having the capability of having the ballistics that i can enter on my rifle or my client's rifle Mm -hmm and enter it in and be able to call the shots there basically for my hunter or if if i'm hunting be able to have it projected for my rifle yeah and so i just say hats off it's a great product i've um, really enjoyed using it and it's kind of opened my eyes to someone that's been really focused Swarovski optic have, has had my business for a long time but i got to be honest the the rfs they're f- fantastic so what it does to me is it opens my eyes up to other products that are out there and people ask me what's the best range finding binocular for me right now it's the victory rf i appreciate that jay and that's something that when when we designed the rf we wanted to make it look like a binocular and i think the one of the other key points this one i point out is the ergonomics of it you don't it have feels any good in your hand yeah yep. it, it looks like it a binocular it does. feels like a standard binocular <clears throat> it doesn't have any any weird bulges any weird curves anything like that if you pick it up it's it just it handles and feels like well, a standalone, not even not even just the, the bulges but like some of the rangefinders that have come out in recent years man they're that's a big binocular yeah and yeah. it can be very long and too i like the fact yeah. i use the kuyu bino harness uh-huh. and i like the fact that it it just slips in there just like a regular bino i mean yeah. really if you looked at the rfs you would not know that yeah. there are rangefinding binoculars uh, i mean yeah 100 but whereas most of the other manufacturers you can immediately tell there's something going on yeah. there where when you look at the rfs you most people wouldn't even be able to tell that they are rfs they're, no they're range I, I agree and and you know even with uh we, it's a dual bridge design where you've got um 
pieces of magnesium actually around the, the focus wheel in the center of the binocular. And the other thing is, too, there's a full weather station in this bino, too. So when, when you're talking about being able to do the ballistics and all that, the binocular has a built-in weather station that gives you real-time weather data, which is it's indispensable in the field, whether you're guiding, whether you're hunting for yourself, or whether you have that once-in-a-lifetime sheep hunt, you got to make that shot count. But um, my biggest push with the RF, and one of the things that impresses me the most, it's a great standalone binocular. Yep. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I mean, um, if you just take the rain-finding capability out of it, it's a phenomenal absolutely. binocular. Absolutely. Yep. Well, and the other thing, too, that I get from a customer feedback all the time is, is that people appreciate the fact that because it's Bluetooth and it's in conjunction with your phone, mm-hmm. is that when you up, you know, anytime you update any of the, the your apps, yeah, yep. and Zeiss has an update, it's updating that, and it's it, as soon as you turn on a link i mean it it's it's telling your binoculars like hey th- i mean this is i mean it's it it's not telling them but it it's it's it's, it's giving you all in. the current information it's yeah. already there yep. yeah you're getting so, you're getting a free upgrade basically yeah is what it, it is, i think so. that's I, I think that's the the most ingenious part about it too is that, that it's real time and so. it's hard to believe when you look at them it's hard to believe that all of that is going on in what looks like just a regular yeah. binocular yep it's it's mind blowing. Yeah, everything's everything's pretty compact. I mean, we we really try to make them again like as ergonomic as we can. And to your point too, where the, the buttons on the top of the binocular, I've always found that the buttons on most range finding binos are too close to the eyes. So when you push it, you're tending to push the Moving. ocular lens down. Yeah. With this and and we designed this button and the and the ranging system a little bit different too. Most range finding binoculars range on the downstroke. So you got to turn it on with one push, put your circle or your whatever's in there, and then push it again and let it go to get the range. These actually range on the release. So in one motion, you can push it down, get your circle, and release it, and you get your range. Well, and the thing I like about that, too, is less vibration looking through the binocular. So if I'm on a buck or I'm on a ram, I can hit it and not be bouncing all over the place. If I'm hand-holding, if they're on the tripod, same thing, though. You get that vibration. Cody, you and I talk about vibration within the binocular creates instability. Instability creates... you lost the animal you can't find the animal yep. i all fatigue everything right yep absolutely yeah. yep. so um hats off to you guys on that appreciate uh, that those Thank have you. been uh fun using and the and those come in the the 842 1042 8 and 1054 correct yep so let's talk about that a little bit uh for those people out there listening and what you're saying by that is the the ocular lens you've got eight and tens basically yep, right in the magnification and then, range yeah yeah and then mm-hmm. on the objective side uh you've got 42 and 54 yeah okay 54 so i mean that gives a little, wide variety little, little bit bigger i mean here here's the trade-offs in, in the in a, in a nutshell you're going to get a, a better exit pupil out of a 1054 yes. than you are the 1042 um it, it, it they are a bigger unit they are heavier but some we've had you know you hear people go back and forth and and some of the things that i like about having a little bit heavier binocular or a stouter binocular is that i think they're actually easier to handhold and keep a little steady which is gonna really actually help your your ranging abilities it will yeah so um and i would i go back to okay what is a guy doing if you're gonna put them on a tripod and you're gonna use them you know, say the RFs on a tripod most of the time, I would almost always, you know, lean myself towards the, the, the 54s. If I'm, if I'm going to handhold them and put them in my chest pouch most of the time, then I'm going to go for the smaller, 
you know, either eights or ten forty uh, twos. Yeah. Just yeah. personal opinion. Um, what would but, you say, guys? Is probably the number one seller. Would it be the eights or would it be the tens? It's the, the ten, yeah, the, the tens, ten forty twos. Yeah, tens easy. for us as a whole. The ten forty two is going to be the most popular. It's just it's the better size and weight, right? I mean, it's the ten forty two is something I can carry bow hunting for elk right. or whitetail hunting or sheep hunting or whatever, and it's not you're not counting ounces. You're not you know it's light enough to carry around, but it's small to have on your chest. Right. Um, now to Cody's point on the fifty fours, I've been using the fifty fours the last couple months. I absolutely love the 1054 RF for the brightness. You do get a lot more brightness out of the 54 than you do the 42 just because of that objective size. Right. And so when Cody was saying exit pupil for the listeners out there that don't really understand that exit pupil is going to give you that brighter, right? It's Mm going to give you that more light gathering because of a higher exit pupil, correct? The exit pupil is in millimeters. And so for like the 1042s, it's a 4.2 millimeter. So it's, it's the 42 divided by 10 that gives you 4.2. If, if, if I put the binoculars to my eyes and you're looking at me from the side and you can see the light coming through the binocular actually hitting my eye, that band of light basically is 4.2 millimeters wide. Whereas the 1054 would be 5.4. So it's a whole millimeter. Or the, the eight to 42 is going to be six. And so that, yeah. you know, so on. Well, so, and that comes into play more in lower light situations too. I mean, when it's really bright and sunny, your pupils are gigantic. You know, your, your pupils, cur- or sorry, your pupils shrink when it's sunny and at low light, your pupils tend to expand. So in lower light, the more light you can have actually transfer and hitting your eye, the brighter the image is going to be. So I would think a lot of your European clientele are going to go more with like a 1054 yep. or even an eight by 42, because a lot of the hunting is done at night, right? A lot, I mean, of, a lot at of night or yeah, really thick, really thick forest cover. Yeah. Right. So it's, they need as much light as they possibly can. Yes. Whereas us guys out here in the Southwest in Arizona, typically light isn't as big of an issue. Sure. It's an issue. Yeah. But when you're talking about guys that are, you know, shooting Russian boar at night, you know, with illuminated reticles and all that kind of thing. I mean, that's just how they do it. Absolutely. That they need to gather as much light as they possibly can. And that's where exit pupil is going to come in big time as well as field of view. Absolutely. And, and field of view is the key there too, because at night, at night or in thick cover or whatever, the most, the more light you can get transferred through the binocular to your eye, and the wider field of view you're going to have, you're going to have a better chance of seeing the animals in the in the situations that they're hunting. Right. Where, like to your point, we we don't have that much of an issue here, but in those last 30 minutes, in that first 30 minutes, everybody talks about that twilight hour. Mm. That's where your field of view and your light gathering can really be noticeable. All right. Um, any plans for 12 by 50 binos in the near future? <laughs> and we've gotten. I'll I'll add. We've gotten several of these questions, so okay. there, there's definitely people out there that are asking about the 1250s. Okay. Um, not, nothing I can confirm or deny at this point. Um, I know that it is a big. We, we actually get calls for it all the time as well. So um, we've, we've act, I mean, like, I mean, from a from a uh, a salesperson's standpoint, we've talked and asked and. It's been one of those things that we've we've wanted for a very long time. Um, you know, it, it the, the nice thing about it is is that we have a 1054 frame. It'd be really cool to go 1254 on it, just 
throwing that out there, a little suggestion. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you, go, aren't you I'll, going back I'll east run, next I'll week? I'll run that up the flagpole. Yeah, tell Barton, <laughs> tell Barton to get the, you know, get the fuel of the jets and get over to Europe and get it done. I would assume the Germans are just as tight-lipped as the Austrians. Oh, yes, they tend yeah. to be. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of those things are all of a sudden they just pop up on the radar that Sometimes they take the feedback, and all of a sudden it just pops out. Sometimes that is the way it happens. Well, yeah. and I think the, you know, look, I mean, they're always concerned about units sold. And, I mean, I know we have to always ask the big questions, but, the you know, and, and, and maybe the buyers or the I should say the consumers, um, you know, it's – they. Sometimes they think, oh, well, just, you know, throw the lenses and get it's the power. It's not that easy. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's never is. I mean, sometimes that means it, it's, it's like a whole other production line. Or, yeah. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And, you know, some of these projects take years to, to, to do. And so I would absolutely love a 1254. I think there's a place for it. And, and again, what Jay and, and myself, and I know Cortland, we've talked about it a number of times. The best part about that is if they'll come out with it, I just love the fact that we're having more choice. Yeah, as a consumer. As a consumer, we want to give them the choice. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Got a question here. Uh, I have a Slick 634. I have the Sure VA5. Okay, that's a good start. Yep. Uh, Swirl 95. Um, Obviously, we're talking about size here, but we're going to answer the question. (laughs) Do you add weight to stabilize and how dry bag rock? Dry bag rock. I mean, so they want something hanging you, off. Yeah, but you can even, but even if you don't have those, put both hands around the, the trundle and, and put and lean onto the tripod mm-hmm. a little bit. And um, um, I even, I have actually seen a guy take a piece of uh, rope, like a loop. And he puts it around the trundle, comes underneath his boot, like you know, the, pulls it down, and and literally and pull and, and yeah. holds onto it and like just kind of pulls it and wraps it around his boot and just and with the weight of his foot, he can put tension on that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, you know, I've seen crazy things, but that is yes, to add weight is good, um, and and generally speaking, now if your tripod is not designed to handle that load and you're putting too much weight on it, you're going to go backwards. You, I mean, you're going to make yeah, it worse. Yeah, it's going to destabilize the platform. Well, one of the things I discourage people from doing is touching the tripod. I, so I would, agree. I would say that to answer this person's question, widen your tripod legs out, shorten your tripod yep. legs, get as close to the, the ground, ground as possible. you possibly mm-hmm. can, yep. take all the stuff off of the spotting scope that the wind might be blowing or what have you make sure that the adaptation the part that's attached to the tripod is good and secure and tight get as low as you can get if there's any breeze or wind get on the downside where the the, basically your setup is getting blown and moved as little as possible get as low to the ground as you can and I would say don't touch it unless you have to. Well, and, and look, I mean, and Jay, that's a great point. And, 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 you know, I know we talk about guys standing up, and I, I feel these questions every day. 
And guys are like, well, you know, my product, you know, it's shaking. And I'm like, well, okay, well, tell me about your setup. And the first, you know, I mean, a lot of the times, well, I, you know, I'm standing there and I'm like, well, okay, let's just break this down and, and go back right through what you just went through, Jay. Are you going to get me fired you, up again? You know, uh, well, I, I'm, I think I'm fired up, but I, it, but it's true. It, you've got to really think about what you're doing. Yeah. And, and, and the thing of it is, is get close to the ground, shorten the legs up, take the, 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 you know, put the rigidity back yeah, in, bring them. the center post bring, extension down, you know, don't bring, extend it, it out. It, it, yeah, I think it, that's one thing people overlook a lot is they got that center post extension. So they just want to have it all the way up. And that's your most unstable part of the tripod. Absolutely. So, and, yeah. and I would, I know there's times when a center post extension, like on my tripods, I have the extended center post extension, sure. but I very rarely use it. There are times when I'm in sagebrush or up on where I'm running and gunning and I'm carrying the tripod over my shoulder and I'm just looking and looking and looking and I've got to get as high as I can and peek over the brush. Yes, but guys, if you want to become a better glass or if you want to see more games, stop using the center post extension. Pretend yeah. it's not even yep. there. Yep. Yeah, I would rather see you extend the legs before you start extending the center post extension. Could not agree Absolutely. more. I see guys and they shorten their legs up, but they they're sitting there and they raise the center yeah. post and it's literally raised up like eighteen <laughs> yeah. or twenty inches. And I mean that's completely unstable. I'm going to get off on a tangent. <laughs> um, let's jump to any plans for Zeiss to make a new set of fifteen by fifty six binos, uh, Zeiss Victory fifteens question mark. Um, that's another one we've asked for for a very long time. Um, because ex explain what well, Zeiss has now in the fifteen category. Well, yeah, Cortland, yeah, if you want to, our fifteen fifty six is our conquest. It's not our top tier glass. Okay, I mean we have our um, like our SFs or our RF that, that use our highest end glass. So we did that to price them more competitively in in the marketplace, right? I mean, there's there's what, three or four good brands of 15 power binoculars. We wanted to price these low or very, very near our competition. Mm -hmm. um, well, and, it, it, and it's it, a good binocular. And it's, it's a, a great binocular. It's a great bino. binocular. And, I, and I'll, look, I, you know, I, I've been very fortunate over my career to, to be around some incredible people and, and be in some really cool places and in meetings. I, I was in the meeting where this started where the 1556 Conquest HD started, I was in the meeting with the engineers, with the salespeople and all the people at Zeiss. And we were able to sit down and tell them what we wanted, tell them what we thought was important and why. And, and man, and that was a really interesting conversation because their idea and our idea sometimes were completely like 180 degrees yeah. apart. I mean, yeah. completely separate. And, when it came down to it, the, the plan was is to do it on the conquest and, and, mm -hmm. and backing up exactly what you said, the whole reason behind it was is because when it came down to it, they wanted to know units sold. Yeah. Absolutely. And look, if you're a company where, you know, we've all been in business, it, it, it you know, at some point, the idea is to make the, the idea is to yeah. make a profit and, and be able to, you know, get that out to the you know, customer and, and the production lines and everything in there. So it, it, it was a good fit for them to do the conquest. It was appropriate. It was, um, I'm going to contend because I, I'm, I'm, I've been a Zeiss fan forever. Um, and I cut my teeth on 
Ossiana fifteen fifty sixes, which were doctors, which you know, and then you know, my next set was a set of fifteen sixties ice, yeah. blah blah blah, and so I loved that product, and I always thought that that man, if they would just build another fifteen, even like in the old body style, and and put the best glass in it. Because that poro prism, it'd be so incredibly bright, and the whole you'd have like the best fifteen in the world. Well, um, they they have the platform and the glass with that shot glass and the. the I I I mean, I'd love to see their highest end, you know, glass in the in in a fifteen. I think it would be incredible. From a guy that uses fifteens a lot, I'd love to see it too. I, I, um, and unfortunately, that that one's above me. And, uh, well, you're going back there next week, right? So you I will make be. that I am happen. Going back next week. Well, I would argue to maybe Note some to of self, the guys call at Zeiss that are listening, from a perspective, from my perspective, like the the old school Zeiss 15 by 60, they were like the cream of the crop. Yeah. They were the best well, of the best. They yeah. were the thing that that started this whole 15. Revolution. And everything was compared to them. Everything. Yeah. They were the top. They, they were set the, the pinnacle. They set the bar. They set the mm-hmm. bar. So I don't see from a consumer's perspective, I don't see like, why not go back and push that bar even higher and be like, all right, you guys that have been making 15s, we're going to take the top spot back. We're the grandfather of this. You guys all started these 15s because of us. From a from a consumer's perspective, I'd love to see Zeiss go back and say, you know what, you guys are all imposters. We're going to take the top spot back on the fifteen category, and I think they could do it. I, I would love it to be honest with you. I, I really would. And if I could snap my fingers and do it today, I'd say let's roll with it. Um, and I, I wish it was my original idea, but it wasn't. <laughs> and I will tell you flat out that I was actually in a meeting and heard. Um, Somebody saying it was it was a ballsy comment, and I loved every second of it. But I really wanted to see them come out with the old style bodies ice, the Poro Prism fifteen sixties mm-hmm. ice. Just put all new glass in it. That just put the new glass in it. Well, I, I will I, say personally, I'm just telling you, I don't care about be the so weight cool. because be. here's the thing: what most people don't realize a Poro Prism basically allows light to your eye more efficiently yes. than a roof prism does. It's got less bends in the light. Mm-hmm. So if you added that with all the new coatings and all the new Technology. I can't even imagine how bright they would be. Also, I'm if I, I, I maybe an engineer would correct me on this or maybe somebody who's way more, you know, knowledgeable than I. They're also a wider field of view. Yeah, usually poor prisms are t- wider t- for t- you. Typically yeah. speaking, they're a wider. Po- so if you told me that you could take a 15 with the latest and greatest class, even if it was heavier, if I knew that I was getting a, a, a benefit brighter. out of it, brighter, wider field of view, pff, done. Well, and you, you typically run a larger objective lens in a poor prism. Absolutely. Well, it, um, it's a true 60. It is. It could be a true it's 60. It's a true you 60. Get a, you get a, an absolute four millimeter exit people out of it, which would be amazing. Okay. I'm calling Barton. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next question. How do I get turrets built for a Zeiss scope from the mid 2000s? Um, so Kenton Industries actually Kent, cuts yeah, turrets for Kent. pretty much every scope we've manufactured that has replaceable turrets. Okay. So just get a hold of Kenton and they, they can walk you through the process. And those guys are, they're 
top notch. Yeah, they're phenomenal. They 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 cut all of our, our all of our turrets, um, and they they do an absolutely amazing. I'm job. not saying never, but of all the people I've helped with scopes and whatnot through the years, um, I've literally almost never heard of a of a issue with their turrets. Yeah, they do a good job. They they just they do a great job doing it. We got this question, I believe, last time. Uh, any chance of straight spotters? Love the spotters. Any chance of straight? That, that, you know, the one thing we keep talking about the new product, and one thing that I'll say, I can't speak too much about new product. Um, we, we do, I mean, there's always stuff in the works, right? Um, but I can't speak to specifics on really anything at this point. But I will say we've got an incredible team of product designers and product engineers that we're always looking at upgrading stuff, moving stuff around, adding items and getting rid of items that aren't, aren't as popular. So, um, you know, this time of year is always tough because everybody does product releases at the first year, or, you know, mid spring. So it's real hard for me to really say what's coming. Um, but you know, just, just keep an eye out. We're, we're definitely not going anywhere. We're the oldest optics manufacturer in the world. And there's always going to be new stuff coming. So next question, a thousand dollar Bino shout out smiley face zeiss conquest versus others in that price range um i'll let i'll let cody speak to specifics i'll just say that the our conquest hd um right at a thousand bucks for the 1042 to me this is one of the best banks for the buck in the industry yeah i i I agree i mean look when you talk about you know the 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 older uh vortex uh, uh razor hds um the new uhds the, the conquests, um, what am I missing in there? Uh, uh, there's a no, uh, um, the uh, loophole. No, yeah, the loophole yeah. BX5s. Yeah, I mean, so look, there's there's a lot of glass in that mm-hmm. in that platform in, in that 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 price range, and and I would always defer someone and and look when it really comes down to it, it doesn't matter what I say. I mean, I can give you opinions, I can give you specs, I can give you all the things to look for, but go put your eyes behind them because that, that's really what matters. Look, I'll flat out tell you that, that, that those 10 to 42 sit right there absolutely perform. Absolutely, Used them yeah, in the field, yeah. love them, have no questions recommending them. But we all know that there's certain situations where a guy's like, man, I just, I kind of like the way that these feeling look better than mm-hmm. these. Well, uh, okay. Again, it comes back to the consumer and the choice thing. Yeah. You know, um, they're well built. Um, they, they've, they stand up to the test of time. Um, we've been selling them now for quite a few years. They've got the five-year uh, uh, no-fault warranty. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, and, and I don't think they need to use the warranty all the time with it, to be honest no, with and, you. And that's one reason I saw so a bunch of these because they're, <coughs> they're a rugged binocular, like – I just, just threw, threw him, him on, on the floor. floor. Yeah, yeah, he just threw him um, on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I are, cringed when I saw you do they're that. They're really a rugged binocular. And I'll say, you know, the one kickback we get, and I'll be totally honest, is, is our eye cups. And I dropped these in my driveway and broke the eye cup on the way over here this morning. Okay. But the nice thing about having eye cups that do break is the eye cup takes the shock of a fall instead of the tube, instead of the lens, Correct. instead of the piece of glass. I would yep. rather you call Zeiss in 10 years and have to send you a pair of eye cups than send your binocular back in because you dinged an objective or chipped a, an ocular lens. Right. So having replaceable eye cups and parts available is a big deal. Um, let's so yeah, let's it, talk about that uh, just for a second. It's another question mm-hmm. that pops up. So you've got Zeiss is based in Germany. Yes, sir. And But you guys have a U.S. 
plant, let's call it, or what we do you do. call it? Yeah, so our sales headquarters are based in New York, and we actually have a warranty factory in uh, Hebron, Kentucky. Okay. So if anybody in the U.S. sends a Zeiss product in for a warranty or any concerns, it's going to go to Kentucky and get okay. handled there. Okay. There are some items that we do still have to send back to Germany um, if they do require internal repair, but the majority of the stuff's handled in-house in Kentucky. Next question Will $700 extra for the Swarovski SLC really be that much better than the $1,000 Zeiss Conquest? They must be talking about the 10... Oh, they've got to be... Yeah, yeah they've the got to be talking 1042s. Yeah, yeah again, I, I, I think you... I think it's important to, to put your eyes behind them. Um, look, I, I mean, I'm an optic snob. I always go for what treats me best. Um you know, and and I'm not I'm not I am not going to sit here and tell you that I don't like the SLCs because I love them. I think they're one of the best pieces of glass on the market. Um, you know, and and you know, obviously, seven hundred bucks. But no, but no, bucks. absolutely. Yeah. And and yeah. and now it's officially it's fifteen ninety nine. So that guy knows, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> so yeah, so it's like a six hundred dollar separation. I get it, and I and again, I I think, and this goes back to answering that question that we get so much. It's probably the most common question. Is it really worth that money? I don't know. Is it? Put your eyes how, to it. Yep. How much time do you spend behind them? That's one question yeah. I would ask. Like, With that, are, are you going to get that money out of it? Because yeah. here's the deal. If I'm using the 10 to 42, you know, Conquest and he's using the Zeiss, Okay, partner, I'll saddle up and go side. What do you mean the Zeiss? Well, I mean, the, what, the SLCs. I, I'm sorry, the SLCs and I'm using the, the Zeiss. I'll go toe to toe with you. You're not going to outglass me. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to be cocky. That it's it, it's you're you're taking smaller intangibles, and 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 fitting it to somebody's eyes in in their in what they see. I can't always answer that for a guy. Well, one thing I'd like to add is let's talk about real fast. What shows, Cody, are you going to be at? And what shows are you going to be at, Cortland? Because I think it's important when you talk about guys getting their hands on the product and looking through them. Let's talk a little so, bit about the shows. Okay. Go Go Hunt will be uh, represented at um, Sheep Show, Wild Sheep Show okay. in Reno. I think that's January 16th through the 19th. Of which, by the way, I think uh, the Zeiss booth I just noticed yesterday we is... We are across the aisle. We are literally yep. across the aisle, so we're good to go there. Um, you can come to uh, my booth or go to Zeiss, and, or we can walk back and forth, and I can tell you all about stuff. Um, and then we will also be at Western Hunter Conservation Expo in Salt Lake City. And I believe the dates on that is it's like February, February 7th. No, it's like the thirteenth. Uh, oh, no, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's yeah, it's thirteen. Yeah, you're right. It's thirteen to yeah, six. Thursday to Sunday, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. it's a four day. Yeah. So yeah, we will be there, and I think Zeiss is also there we, on that we one will, too. Yeah. So I will actually be at the ATA show first. Uh, it's the 9th of January in Indianapolis. Um, so any archers out there going to be at ATA, come see me. Zeiss will have a booth there. Um, I will be at Cheap Show as well in Reno. Oh, good, 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 good. Um, I will not be at the Western Hunting Conservation Expo, but we will have a booth there staffed with a bunch of our territory account managers as well awesome so. good all right next question Who, who's going to be there uh angelo or no you know barton's going to be there nice um we've got corbin shell will be there as well cool. good. so yeah we'll have a, right, good, a good. good crew looking Real forward crew. to it uh are there any plans to add illumination to the moa reticles for the v6 line that that's going to be a 
a Cortland question. Well, again, it's it's hard for me to talk about new product coming for next year. So just keep keep your eyes on the V6 line. But we're only about two weeks away from next year. <laughs> I think this might be a little bigger audience than uh, than I, I, we can we can talk talk about yet. So. Okay, uh, let's see another one about the, wanting the 15 by 56 and the HT Victory line. Mm -hmm. um, how did Cortland grow such an amazing beard? Kudos. Oh, awesome. Yeah, Thank you know, I couldn't Cortland, grow really, that in five years. It really has come in nice. <laughs> but it's nothing it. like yours. Oh, mine's, it's special. Cody's it's is special. That's, well, you are well, kind of special, it, Cody. It's, it, uh, it's, it's Megan, Ty, Tanner, and Gracie. It's all gray. and yep. Get a little salt in there. Oh, buddy. Yeah. Dang. Uh, that's, that's, we, what, that's what it'll I do. I know the feeling, my friend. I know the feeling. Okay, yeah. next question. I noticed, hey, Cortland's over here. Don't think that he doesn't have a little, oh, few little guys popping through. a little salt and pepper in there. Next question. Uh, would love more general information on the V4 rifle scopes. And I think with that, I think the next question I've got here is we're going to talk about the difference between the V4 and the V6. But let's hit the V4 rifle scopes Corn. first. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty passionate about the V4. I, th I think um, this is probably one of the products I use the most besides the RF. Um, our, our V4 series is all 30 millimeter tubes. Okay. And it's a four. We call it the V4 because it's a four times magnified scope. So we do them. Um, in a six to twenty-four, a four to sixteen, a three to twelve, uh, we actually we used to make a one to four as well. We're, we still have a few of those around, but um, we designed this as a mid-tier price point. When I when I say mid-tier price point, you guys know rifle scope prices can go from thirty-nine bucks to five thousand dollars. Yep. So these are gonna are made to retail anywhere from six ninety-nine to. Eleven ninety nine, so six to twelve hundred dollar price range. We try to keep it um, approachable for most people by still providing a, a top tier experience in that price point. So um, all thirty millimeter tubes. The one benefit to the V four is all of our V four series scopes are capped for windage. They have a capped windage turret and an exposed elevation turret. Um, we design that as a in, in the mindset that it's going to be used as a, a long range hunting scope. Okay, so most long range hunters. Most guys in a hunting situation are ever going to dial their windage. So the, having an uncapped turret that might get bumped, might get moved when you're throwing it in and out of a case or a scabbard up here on a horse, that's one thing that we wanted to alleviate, so we capped that turret. Um, the other benefit is you have about 80 minutes of travel in the V4 series scopes. So anybody that's, that's familiar with ballistics, 80 minutes is a ton. Um, I mean, if you want to talk about the hottest cartridge, you know, the 6.5 Creed where everybody raves about right. it. What do, you, what do you need from 100 yards zero to 1,000 yards is only, I may be wrong in this, but you should have at least twice the amount of travel you need to get that cartridge out to 1,000 right. yards. So in any configuration, you usually have, you should have plenty of travel in the scope to dial that turret out to a reasonable yardage for you to shoot. And how many out. is on each revolution on it's that? A, it's a 20 MOA turret, so you okay. have 20 minutes per revolution. Um, that helps too for the guys that are dialing a lot. You don't have to dial as much. Um, you just get more more travel per revolution. Um, yeah, it's a solid scope. We've got several different reticle options. We actually just dropped a new reticle. I think we we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, but we dropped our, we call it our T20 thin line reticle in the six to 24, and we have a T30 in our four to 16. And it gives the guy that doesn't always want to dial his turret, but wants to shoot off the reticle enough holdover values for windage and elevation and make a shot. Um, the T20, I, I actually, that's what I, I shot my coos deer with this year. And I, I shot that bucket 565. Um, with a, with this reticle, and this one is illuminated. And I actually, that's the first time I've ever turned the illumination on a rifle scope to shoot an animal. And we were shooting uphill into the sun, and having that illumination on just helped me track with the with the glare I was getting just because of the position of the shot. Helped me track where I needed to put the nice. put the crosshair. 
Um, yeah, I, I think they're an incredible value for the money. They're also a very lightweight scope. Uh, the six to twenty-four illuminated runs about twenty-four and a half ounces. So if you're if you're looking to build a true Western hunting rifle, you can get enough power to make those long-range shots without sacrificing a bunch of weight. Yep. So good stuff. Talk about the differences between the V4 and the V6. Uh, the V4 and the V6. The the V6 is going to go from a four times magnified. The V6 is going to be a six times magnified. So we make a three to eighteen and a five to thirty and a one to six in the V6 series. Um, the biggest difference is the glass quality. You go from, oh, and you know, the other thing I'll point out is our V4s are actually made in Japan. Okay. These are made with, with glass that we provide, but they are made in Japan. Assembled uh, in Japan. Assembled in Japan. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, the V6 is a 100% manufactured in Germany product. So a little bit higher end tolerances. We use a little bit different components in our turret systems, but realistically the, the ergonomics and how they handle is, is virtually the same. The biggest difference in the two is going to be the glass quality. The V6 is going up to our uh, top tier glass, our FL glass. Um, it's the highest end glass package we offer in a rifle scope. Um, we actually have one series of rifle scope above the V6 called the V8. Those are probably the brightest hunting scopes in existence right now. Um, and the V6 and the V8 use virtually the same glass. So you're going from about a $1,200 price point on the 6 to 24 V4 to a $2,000 price point on the 5 to 30 V6. And the biggest difference there is the glass quality is the increase in price. Um, I will say just my personal opinion that 3 to 18 V6 is my favorite rifle scope that I've ever shot. Great power range, good turrets, unbelievable glass, and it's got 103 minutes of travel. So the guy that really wants to go out and stretch his cartridge out, the V6 is a good option. Good stuff. Um, and talk about the new reticles you, you touched on a little bit in the V4. You talked about the, I think it was the T20. Yeah, the T20 and the T30. Um, in the 4 to 16, we do the T30 reticle. And it's a Christmas tree style reticle, but it's very thin. So what we incorporated is well, it's, we. And it's, and it's just dots. It's, yes. Yeah, yeah. Just, it, yeah, just to clarify. Yeah, the, the center crosshair is still um, a, a solid crosshair, but we have a floating um, aiming point in the middle. So the center of your crosshair is actually floating where you actually have, it's a full window around that reticle. It's very small. It's only one MOA. Um, but the, the Christmas tree allows you to have in the four to 16, it gives you 30 minutes by, I believe it's 15 minutes of windage on each right. side of your vertical crosshair. So if, <clears throat> if you have a guy that likes, like my, my dad loves shooting off his reticle. If you have a guy that, that doesn't want to dial his turret, doesn't want to mess with adjusting anything on the scope, but you just want to hold over and make your shot. That's where we really design these. The other application for it is too, if, if like, I like to target shoot with my hunting rifles, I like to go out and hit steel with them. Right. With this style of reticle, you can actually call your winded shots if you do miss your target, or if you're trying to engage a small target, like prairie dogs always come to mind, right? Cause they're very small. We made the dots in these two reticles, the windage and elevation dots, very small. Um, not too small that we're not usable, but you're not covering up your target when right. you're trying to shoot a smaller target. And it's distance. really important to point out that like I normally like very clean reticles. You, yes. know, you and I have had that conversation yep, many times. I, I was not offended. I, I it didn't it, it it just did not bother me. The, the, it's so fine and That's so, you know the 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 the, uh, the reference points of the tree. It, it's just not overwhelming. It's yeah. It, it's not too busy. Is what I want to. And well, I know you, people are going to ask, and I just I think that's the best thing that can be taken from it is I never once have looked at it and thought, man, that's just too much going on. 
Yeah, it, like, and you know when you see reticles like this that have a, a you know everybody calls them the tris, Christmas tree style, right? Because they mm-hmm. start skinny at the top and go and go wider to give you those reference for your windage. You see a lot of those reticles and they become very, very what what you said is busy, right? Busy. It covers up a lot of your target. It covers up a lot of what you're looking at. The benefit to this is it's it's we call it a thin line. That's right. our vernacular for it. I really like this. What is this? That's the six to twenty four six to twenty four T twenty. Okay. Yeah. So um yeah, it, it's very usable and it crosses over very well from a target scope to a hunting scope um without any hassle, without any headache. So Good stuff. Next question. Go ahead, Cody. Oh no, you're you're fine. Yeah, I'm, I I just was you you covered it. And we do have high res images of this on our website. So anybody that's curious about looking at that, I can go to zeisshunting.com and check it out. Great. Uh, why is the Gavia spotter from Japan? I think you just referenced that. Yep. We, we so we do manufacture stuff in Japan. Um, that is to help us keep those price points where they need to be, right? If From we, an assemblage standpoint. Exactly. Yes. Yep. So assembled in Japan, um, the Gavia, it, it's our Conquest series. So it's the same kind of series, to, mid-tier glass. Okay. Um, it's not our, our low-end glass, but it's not our SF glass like we put in, in our Harpia spotting scopes. Um, but made in Japan, I mean, if you really want to get down to it, the Japanese manufacturing and the Japanese facilities mm-hmm. are second to none in the world as far as what they can do and what they produce. Incredibly efficient. So in, in the days of seeing a, a, a scope or a binocular or, or, or spotting scope made in Japan and, and kind of thinking down about it, I think are gone. Um, well, I, I mean, and if really, you, I mean, if you really want to get down to it, guys, they're that's what made all this glass that wasn't available years ago available. Ab- absolutely. If it, it, from it, a it, price it, point perspective. I mean, from a yeah. price point, everything, yep. that literally is what has pushed this ceiling. Yes. I mean, you, you st- yeah, you still have the big three, and, 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 and that's great, and, and, and that high-end glass. But if it, we wouldn't have all the choices we have today if it weren't for, for the Japan and manufacturing that goes Absolutely. on there it just wouldn't it just wouldn't have happened well and the other thing too is um zeiss owns 100 percent of the shares of shot glass company right so shot glass company's largest manufacturer of optical glass in the in the world yep so copiers yeah yeah came, yeah it and, came from copiers and we make glass for pretty much every industry so we're able to sell the glass that we or whatever subsidiaries produces to manufacture that scope and we're just manufacturing in japan and the other benefit is it's a shorter scope than most 85s, and it's very, very tough. Are the Zeiss Victory <clears throat> SFs less durable than the Swaro ELs? I know they're a little lighter. Thanks. Yeah, I think they're running about an ounce lighter. Um, I think it is an ounce. Right, right off my memory serves me right. It's not um, much. It's a magnesium-housed body. It's, it's a very, very durable binocular. I, I can't say... That it's going to be any more durable, less durable than a Swarovski. I've never put very a Very similar, you're saying? Yeah, well, very, very similar. I mean, j- just from a standpoint of um, hearing, you know, customer have issues in terms of, like, repairs, um, I-, I would tell you that both of them are are tougher than nails. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I, you just yeah. don't hear about a lot of complaints. So, Guys, I want to point out uh, my friend sitting right next to me, Cody Nelson, is the optics manager at Go Hunt, the gear shop. And if you guys need, have any optical needs at all, if you want to buy binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, you want to talk glassing, tripods, anything about what we're discussing today, you can reach out to him at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. 
Uh, you can also uh, see him at the shows that he listed. You can also send him an email. He gets those emails directly at optics at gohunt.com. Guys, the next question here, are they discontinuing the Z600 reticle, best hunting reticle system in the game? We, we actually did discontinue the Z6. The, the, the Z600 was in our um, HD5 or Conquest HD5, and that was the precursor to the, the V4. So when we upgraded to, from the, the HD5 was a one inch tube, we went to a 30 millimeter tube in the V4. We did upgrade the reticles and make it more of a dialable system instead of just a radical well, system. I, I, I think, and, I, and I'm just, I don't, mm. uh, just a yeah. side note there. The, the, the Z6, Z8, and what was it, Z1000 yep. yeah. reticles, and all of the, and, and by the way, those are, th- that's no different than the BDC reticle and the Vortexes, and yeah. all the different bullet drop compensating style mm-hmm. um, uh, reticles, all those were incredibly popular. Before, and I'll say this, look, it took me 30 years to become comfortable with turning my <laughs> turrets, you know, and, and doing that. So I, I, I would tell you that that bullet drop compensator style reticles, holdover reticles, if you will, you know, uh, like full, I, I remember when the full field two came out and it just had the two little lines yep. and, the, you know, the Zeiss had their, uh, their LR dots. And so, or no, I'm sorry, not Zeiss, uh, Loophold came yeah. out with their little LR. That's the, it's, I don't want to ever offend the guy that asked that question or whoever did, but it's, it's not that it's old way of thinking. It just that like everybody has kind of moved on to the, um, to the turrets and, you know, and having all your ballistic information. Yeah. Yep. And so I, I, it, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm not, I'm, I'm, it's great. But there's a lot of people that have gone past that, and and I liked those reticles, and they were yeah, clean reticles. They great. So um, maybe you can tell him which ones would kind yeah, of fit him now. So going from like the 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 Z600 reticle, and that the whole premise behind those scopes was when you plugged your ballistic information into our ballistic calculator, it would actually tell you what power to put your rifle scope on to put those yard or those dots or actually it was line holdovers yeah, it was, exactly. to see what those were at one, two, three, four, five, and 600. So you would adjust the power on the scope instead of adjusting a turret. The benefit of going to like a V4 or one of the newer style reticles is you still have that usability of shooting off your reticle and have all of your drop if you don't want to dial a turret, but you can keep it at whatever power you want to shoot at instead of whatever power we're telling you to put it at to get those, Correct. your sub tensions exactly right for one to 600. So the V4 just gives you a little bit more freedom on how you want to shoot versus the, the Z600. Um, and I, I mean, honestly, from those scopes to the new ones, these are a brighter scope um, and have a, just, just a few more features to make them a little more user-friendly. Yep. Next question. Uh, what are some differences that you see in the 15 by 56 Zeiss compared to the Swarovski 15 by 56? Cody, you want to tackle that one? Well, I mean, look, here and again, you know, I don't want to sound like a rinse, wash, repeat answer, but, um, you know, when you start comparing those pieces of glass, you you know, it kind of comes down to what does that guy see, you know, out of his eyes. Um, I have used extensively pretty much all the 15s out there at one time or another, 
and had the fortune to put them all together at one time and, and look, you know, at game in the field. Um, the, the, the Zeiss is an incredibly good piece of glass. Um, my personal preference, I, I normally, you know, I, I gravitate towards the, the, uh, the Swarovski. I, I feel it's a little bit brighter. Um, you know, there's, you know, a little bit wider field of view. Um, and some of it's like a perceived field of view. Um, you know, I do believe that they're both using um, Abbey Koenigs. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the, you know, really what you're seeing is it, it looks very similar. Um, I will tell you that the, the Swarovskis are a little bit shorter. Um, I can't remember the exact weights, it's but it's two ounces. It's maybe two ounces. Yeah, so, you know, uh, again, I think a guy really has to answer for himself. What does he want? What does he see when he looks through them? How much does he use them? To make that, you know, to make that six hundred bucks or you know whatever the difference is, what what is it? I mean, what is he get that much value out of it? Because maybe if he only hunts once a year and this is what he wants to spend, you know, do that. Well, let's face but, it. I mean, with six, seven, eight hundred bucks, you could buy a new rifle. Well, you, you, you could buy another. You could buy a rangefinder. You, you could do. Buy, I mean, there's you could things. Do a, so. Yeah, it's always tough to put those things into perspective for people. And look, I I, I will always help somebody spend their money, and I and and I will help them spend it wisely too. Yeah. So, but but you do you have guys that walk in, you know, or call or whatever, and they go, hey, you know, they just buy something because somebody told them to buy something, not because of what they actually see. Yeah, and you know, I've been I've been fortunate. I've actually used the fifteen fifty six Conquest for geez the last seven years, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, even before I was working with Zeiss, I was using a pair of Conquest 15s, and I've never felt handicapped in the field. Yeah, I mean, with a pair of on a tripod. And I think it comes so, back to what I was telling you earlier. Like if 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 I'm using the SLC 10s, and and and, yeah. and you're using the, I, I just, I think you're still both gonna find deer. It's just I think it comes down to the how do they focus for you? How you know what does it look like when you're actually in the field? Do you yeah. like the eye cups in, eye cups out? Do you like the eye cups at all? I mean. I think you have to answer all those things for yourself. Yeah. Ergonomics and comfort go so, a long way, especially when um, you're sitting behind them. Here's the time. beautiful thing. They're both tripod mountable. They're, you know, you can put studs in them. You can. And the Zeiss comes with one. Yeah. And, and yeah. The, the Zeiss does come with one. Swarovski makes their own, you know, that you have to buy as a separate piece. So there's, there's just a lot of things that go into that, that, um, you know, you, I think a guy really just has to go put the glass to his own eyes and to the best of his ability, you know, f- kind of figure out what works for him. Yeah, I agree. So, got a question here. Which V4 for hunting 300 wind mag Browning X bolt weight a concern practice out to a thousand yards? I, I would look at the Fortis 16 by 44. Yeah, it's going to be your lightest up. weight option. Um, if you don't mind three and a half more ounces, the 624, especially if you're going to go out to a thousand yards, would probably be a, a consideration for me. But that four to sixteen forty four is about the. It's one of the lightest scopes in its class with with the travel and the turret, and the reticle options that are available. Info and reviews on the Dialyte eighteen by forty five by sixty five spotter. So the Dialyte is actually one of the oldest products in our in our lineup right now. Um, it's the only straight spotting scope we currently produce, and we always call it our Sheep Hunter scope. It is. Uh, I don't have one here today to show you, but it. Um, it's a fairly long spotting scope and it's a little bit unique it's got a very heavy armored body and the focus ring is actually the ring around the objective lens 
So the idea behind it is if you're not necessarily in a, point, a position, especially when you're doing a lot of high alpine sheep hunting, you may not be able to throw a tripod up very easy, but you can lay this over your pack at 18 power and, and really get that focus where you need it to be to you know count that growth ring or whatever. Um, it is a lighter weight scope and it's, it's fairly uh, low profile, so it fits in a pack really, really well. I, I would actually, um, I'd liken it to the old classics. Yeah, very similar. And yeah, very, very similar. We, we didn't have it when the classics were around, but I, I, I kind of think it's kind of a throwback to the classics. It's really, it, it's good quality. Yeah. Um, I, I've used it. I, I think it's a good piece of glass. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, you put it on a tripod, and I think it's a real word. You know, it. it yeah. I mean, it's a doer. It, it, it'll work. When it's been around this long for a reason. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a solid performer and still works. I agree. So. We've got a question here. Field <clears throat> field versus home care. Do we have to buy branded stuff? Are all wipes created equal? <laughs> <laughs> so I will tell you that all Did wipes are not created equal. we just move to the home show? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, field care, nothing makes me cringe more than when I see a guy take his T-shirt and, and wipe oh. off his rifle scope lens or his binocular lens. No, the, the, I'm sorry. And, I got oh. I to gotta, I gotta one-up you on that deal. Oh, yeah? The worst is watching somebody take a wool glove. Oh, yeah. And just take the finger and go. And, no, no, and lick the glass. And then I've seen that one a couple times. I just was like, oh my God. So, so the best way I can answer that question is buy something that's made to clean optical glass, whether it's name brand, whether it's not name brand. But personally, I would rather put a little bit of money into the products they use to care for what I already dropped a bunch of money into purchase. Um, Zeiss makes, they, we do. I'll be, this is me being very arrogant about this, but we make the best throwaway wipe made. It's a, a paper wipe with pre-moistened solution. It's you like see a, them everywhere. Yeah, it's like a, a hand towelette, right? Mm -hmm. You can literally buy 50 of them for a couple dollars, and that'll last you a season. So spend a couple bucks on something that's going to help you clean your glass, for one, but it's not going to degrade right. your glass over time, too. What a lot of cleaning solutions do, especially if they have ammonia in them, they can actually start wearing the coatings off on the edge of the, on the surface of the glass, which your coatings enhance your visibility, brightness, and everything. So if you're scratching those coatings by using a cotton T-shirt, if you're using a wool glove and licking your, your lens, you're starting to wear on that glass. And it's, it may not be a noticeable scratch the first time you do it, but well, repeating, over, repeating, repeating, like, repeating, it's, it's going to damage Having it. seen a bunch of different binoculars come in, I mean, you know instantly what a guy's been cleaning with. Absolutely. And and I and I, I think part of that question too is like, look, when yes, when I'm at home, I do clean a little bit. It's more thorough. Yeah. But it's a little bit. Um, I always use air. Uh, I have a compressor out there, or I use uh, or you know canned air. Yep. Or I have a brush. Okay, so I mean, I, I I do whatever I can to remove any debris by those means. If for some reason that we've gotten, uh, you know, wa water stain or you know, uh, you know, like, I, and again, I've seen you know, chew spit. <laughs> I've seen oh, food. Yeah. I mean, you name it, it's been stuck to it. I, I've seen it before. A lot of blood. And, uh, yeah, blood. Yeah. I, I mean, yep. I've seen a lot of different things, and I and I would just tell people that that if you get stuff that's hard on there, don't go scratching on no, it. No, 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 no. And what I would try to do is, is like, that's the stuff I normally leave to when I get back to the truck or when I get home. And what I try to do is, is, is I will use an, a liquid cleaner mm -hmm. and I'll squirt a couple drops, let it set on there and try to break it up. 
Yeah, absolutely. Then open up a wipe and and very gently start trying to pull Working that apart and get get a, get away on it. And I think that 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 if you just and and I always work in circular motions that I can't stress that enough, you know, if you're just rubbing back I, I just I don't think that works it, very it, well and there's there's a lot of cleaning kits you can get to right. that um the main the main things you can use to clean a, a, a lens thoroughly, right? At home care, I use some sort of a elect or some sort of a optics brush, right, to get your big particles off your lens. Okay, um, an air puffer or canned air is great. The only condition with canned air is don't let the liquid yeah that, get on it, the glass. In surface. other words, and what he's saying yeah, is, don't is tilt the can, don't shake it up, yeah, and move the binocular, not the airstream, yes. because. Yep. It'll. It, I don't really know what that amounts to, but it it coats. It puts something on the lens yeah. that you got to clean off anyway. Yeah. So um, I agree, and, and that's why I. I mean, I, I think it was last compressors Christmas. Were great. That, well, the my wife bought me one of those little Dewalt small compressors. Yep. It sits on my shelf. I use that for more stuff now than I can possibly imagine. Well, and uh, honestly, we build all these binoculars to be waterproof. So if you have a binocular that you've been coos hunting or sheep hunting for a couple of weeks and it's dusty and dirty. Don't be afraid to walk over to the faucet and hose it off. Yeah. It's not going to hurt it. So hose it off, get the dust off, and then go back through and clean your lenses. So these are made to be a, a very high precision instrument, right? But they're also made to be used. So don't yeah. be afraid to use them. Um, we, we wear them in the rain all the time. So it's not going to hurt them to, to rinse them off. But definitely use something that's designed to clean optical lenses don't use your well, t-shirt. E- even, Otherwise, Jay will come and slap yeah. you. <laughs> well, but even even with that being that. said, like w- with with running water over them, mm-hmm. I, I I mean, if it's that bad and they're that dusty, which that happens once in a while, walk outside, take the air yep. compressor, blow the water out of them. Absolutely, absolutely. And then go and then go back and clean the lenses and and yeah, I mean, it works out real good. Yep. What so, level of tracking accuracy tests do? does Zeiss perform on their turret systems? So our turret systems are designed to track 100% true at our printed um, MOA adjustment. Okay, so for example, on the V4 rifle scopes, we print an 80 MOA of adjustment. These scopes will actually dial and travel a little bit more than that. But 80 minutes is where we know we have 100% true vertical tracking without any side-to-side deviation. Um, and there's a couple different ways that we do that. It's how we design our turret system um, that a lot of companies design them a little bit different. So you don't get quite the uh, accuracy out of it and you can get a little bit of wandering or that it just walks as you're dialing up or down. So we do I mean, we do extensive testing on this to make sure it's accurate. That's one thing that Zeiss prides themselves is to make sure that our printed specs on these rifle scopes, you're getting 100% true tracking at those specs. How does the V6 line compare to the Leupold VX6 HD? I, I, I'll let Cody kind of jump in here in a minute, but I think I, the VX6 and the V6 are very comparable. Yep, I, um, I 100% agree. Personally, I think there's a few subtle differences. Sure. But, yeah, I'll, I'll let you um, take that one. I mean, look, both those scopes, I, I, I would say that um, they kind of made a niche. And that really wasn't being utilized anyway. I mean, you either had to go big and tactical and heavy. Mm-hmm. And I and I realize that, you know, the, this, you know, I guess somebody's definition of what heavy is, but the VX6 is when I first, be, you know, matter of fact, the VX wasn't really even coming around yet. The VX6 
came out first. And we started putting that on longer range rifles because everybody wanted the second, yep. uh, the turret. The second revolution. And, yeah. and that was, and everybody's like, oh, that just, you know, that because it, what it did was, is it pushed people away from other scopes and said, okay, now I can get the second full turret. Yep. Now I can, I can definitely hit the thousand yard range. So, um, you know, there, there, there's, uh, there, you know, you've got a, a illuminated, um, you, you know, you've got the six times power. You, I mean, I think the glass is excellent in both. Um, again, I, I think at a certain point in time, you know, you, you're, you know, you're talking about lockable turrets. Yeah. They both have lockable, you know, it's different systems. Yeah, z- zero or ballistic so, stops. Yeah. Um, I, I would tell you that, uh, I think the V6, I think it, if I'm going to say this correctly, I think it's got 80, uh, 75 or 80 millimeter or MOA. I think. Uh, the, the 318, our 318 has 103. Okay, yeah. And, yeah. Well, I was going to say, because oh, that one, yeah, the VX6, I think, I think, about 80, I think yeah. it's 80. 75 or 80. Um, there's one VX5 VX that has, um, I think it's 105 too. I think so it is too. It's close. Yeah. yeah. So there's, when you start really talking about those scopes, I think they're really similar. Um, you know, I, I think it kind of comes down to personal choices uh the vx6 has the leveling system in in it that you know you can mount on your scope and you can level it out so there's there i mean there's just different things on or bells and whistles if you will yeah it's just different accessories for them too right. it kind of comes back to the whole 15 you know r15 versus the swarovski 15 go look through them go see what reticle you like better go put them go take them outside go look at them in the conditions you're actually going to be shooting them make the decision i mean you I can sit here all day long and tell you to buy Zeiss, but I'd rather you go look at Zeiss compared to something else and prove it to yourself. Yep. So. Speaking of that, uh, we've got question Gavia versus Harpia talking about the spotting scopes. I guess first talk about the spotting scope line, talk about mm-hmm. each one, and then maybe talk about the differences. Okay. So we, we kind of covered the Gavia a little bit earlier. It's our um, our mid-price point. They run about 2000 bucks. Um, it's a very short, compact 85 millimeter spotting scope. Uh, a lot of bang for the buck. It's actually a very easy spotter to pack around because it's not ultra long, um, and it's performed very well. And it's very, very robust. So with the Harpia, we've actually upgraded, and this is a totally redesigned um, spotting scope in the Harpia. We are the only ones um, at this point, as far as I know, producing a spotting scope with these kind of mechanics in it. So a traditional spotting scope has your power adjustment in your um, eyepiece right so you put an eyepiece on and it's got you know 20 to 60 30 to 60 whatever it's going to be the harpy is a little bit different we actually it's a fixed eyepiece and our power adjustment is built into the objective lens of the spotting scope so the whole purpose behind that is it helps us keep a wider field of view even out to 70 power versus all of our competition um and jay you've videoed a lot through a spotting scope you've done a lot of digiscoping any 10 cody you you have too Anytime you can increase field of view when you're looking at something but keep your power the same, you're getting benefits of both worlds. You're getting that extra magnification to see the detail, but you're being able to see more in your picture at one time. So the only drawback to the Harpy, I mean, this is the 95. We make them in an 85 and a 95. The 95, it's a large scope. Um, it's 69 ounces or something. Um, I may not have that weight quite correct, but it's, it's a heavy spotting scope. But the performance of this with this system is... It's almost unbeatable. It's um, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool piece of glass. Yeah, it's it, it does, and I got to spend some time with it this fall. Um, 
I've been nothing but impressed with it to this point. Um, you know, there's some, some, and, and I'm not, I'm not the biggest on angles. Um, I, I, I really hope they come out with a straight for my own benefit, but, um, there's no doubt that that eyepiece is, I mean, they've done something really, really good with that. Um, I really like the, uh, the, the way that the whole system functions together. Um, you know, from, you know, the, what is it? The, I always get the 85 and the, it's 23 to seven, 20, 23 to 70 on the 95, 95 25 the, to 65 20, on, right. the, on the 85. Um, but I just think it does a really good job. And I think absolutely that it's comparable to others in the market. Um, and I think it's, it, they've absolutely made a name for themselves and put in, in, in and put their place right. They put their toe in their foot in the door. If you, yep. Absolutely, and I think I, I it can only get better from this point. And we are running a special on these right now. Yep, so if we you, are. If you guys do buy a Harpy a Spinoscope, you actually get the eyepiece it's for free. free. It's about an $800 savings. Yep. So wow. that's one of our, our fall promotions we're running until the end of the year. That's that's so. phenomenal. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I have not taken the 85 out yet. It'll, so I'm, I'm and, and I don't, I, 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 the 95 I used more, I want to get the 85 because I, I, just to give people a better idea of what a smaller unit, you know. Yeah, and it's not significantly smaller, but it does save four or five ounces, and it, it cuts the length of the spotting scope down sure. quite a bit. So, yeah, no, I I I think the focus wheel is good. Yeah, well, and, um, you know, I've been yeah, that. yeah, the gear. Yeah, tell them about the gear it, on the focus wheel. It's a geared wheel. focus wheel, so it's got a, a coarse focus and a fine focus built into the same focus yeah. wheel. So you get about an eighth of a turn of fine focus as you're focusing. So say you're sitting behind your your spotter and you got it on the tripod and you're trying to get it focused on that deer, you can quickly get your rough focus in, and then you have about an eighth of a turn that's just really, really fine focus so you well, can and get that detail. Where I you have get. heard, and peop, uh, customers have questioned, I, I don't want to use the wrong word, but almost like saying, like, slop. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's, that's, that. that Refinement. It, exactly. It, exactly. Yeah. It's there for a reason. They are definitely designed to be, that's your, your coarse yep. focus to I, fine focus is the easiest way to play. It. Yeah, play. There you go. <laughs> it, and it, it does. They, I mean, if, they, it, it's, it's just a subtle movement, but that's yeah. what they don't realize. And I had to learn it. Yeah. But one, I mean, once you start using this scope though, and the, the beautiful yeah. thing about the power on the objective too, is you can use this all one hand without looking at anything. I can keep my eye behind it. I can adjust my power yep. and my focus with the same hand. So a you're putting less stress on your tripod like we were talking about earlier. See that. Absolutely, um, we you know we were talking about keeping your hands off your tripod as much as you can. When you start getting up into seventy power on a spotter, that's a heck of a lot of magnification to try to keep still. So any movement you can keep off that at any time is going to help you. It's yep. amazing how free and just well, easy. It, like I'm yep. using one finger. I use the Swarovski ninety five, and I mean you got to crank it pretty good. This is pretty amazing yeah you can it's true one hand operation and the wheels are big enough too that if you're using gloves you can still operate all the controls while you're without ta having to take your glove off that's good stuff uh, guys i want to give you a chance uh here in conclusion if you have any final thoughts um it's always great having both of you on the podcast and i think the listeners gain a lot of information and knowledge and they get a lot of value out of both of you. So I want to give you a chance to if you've got any final thoughts, anything that you think we've missed or anything you just want to get out there. You know, I, I, I just, there's a couple things. AJ, thanks for letting us have this kind of platform. Number one, Zeiss, thank you, you know, for having literally the, 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 the broad 
you know, choice of, of products that, I mean, I think that should always be commended. And the, the thing that I want to impress upon people the most is, is that I, I so much appreciate and get flattered with people calling and, you know, wanting to talk and ask questions and, 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 and it's all awesome. But really, when it comes down to it, I think what I have the most fun at, and I, and I know Cortland does this, and Jay, I know because of what you do on the podcast that you do, but it's fun talking to people and, and, and helping them find more game, okay? And it's, pa- it's a passion of mine. But what I mean by all this is is that I, I think it's fun giving other people the knowledge to that they can make those decisions for themselves. Because look, I mean... Jay, you could tell me you like this glass and you like this glass, but I'm convinced that if we all go out and sit on the mountain together, not only are we going to have a great time, and we're going to be in the you know the, the the best country in the world, right? But we're going to find game. Yeah. And I think when it all comes back to it, you know, it 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 you just put your eyes behind stuff to the best of your ability and get out there and make decisions on what you like. And if people will do that and they'll put it on tripods and they'll slow down and they'll search for stuff, they're going to find game. And I'm just happy and I feel fortunate to be able to be in a position that people call and ask my opinion. And I'm more than happy to give it. But I really try to put back on the onus on them is to say, hey, you know, go check this stuff out and see what you like. And it's amazing the response we get back. I know Jay, you forward me stuff all the time for the podcast, but the emails we get to the to go hunt with people saying, "Man, I took it out. I was able to kill this," and you know, all just based on the conversations. And I'm like, that that's that means everything to me. That's what this is all about. Absolutely. So just thought I would kind of throw that in there to because it really that. is. It's, it's just what it means to me. And you know, when you call. Um, that's what we're trying to do. And guys, we're, 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 uh, we're, I'm really excited with the shows coming up. I'm really excited. Um, there's some new products that we're putting on that, you know, we haven't had, you know, our assortment keeps getting a little wider and, and, you know, we were pretty narrow when I first started and in the gear shop in the gear. Well, yeah. In the, in the optic shop and, and, you know, in with the gear shop too, there's man, everybody just keep your hats on because, uh, there's a lot of stuff coming for this coming year. Um, that are new and Brian Campos and his team of guys over there are just absolutely crushing it. And uh, we're, there's going to be some stuff on there that, you know, are, is like categories that were never there before that people are going to go, oh, man, think this is awesome. So there's a lot of stuff coming, um, you know, and I'm getting ready to put a bunch of stuff on, uh, uh, you know, for new uh, selections as far as reticles and things that we haven't had and different kind of binoculars. And so, just keep checking the website, looking for the new stuff. And um, I'm just uh, really excited to be able to do this. So, Jay, thank you for, for giving us that, that platform because it's, it's, it's incredible. Well, good. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me back on. It's always a good time to sit down and uh, discuss all this stuff. I'm kind of an optics nerd, so I really get into using this stuff and selling it. And kind of the same thing what Cody was saying. You get that feedback from a customer that's just excited because you helped them pick the right piece of gear for them. That's, that's what makes it worth it at the end of the day. Um, you know, one thing I'll throw out there too, and it's not, I'm not going to throw a sales pitch out, but I see a lot of emphasis on guys buying good binoculars, which is great. I see rifle scopes being a secondary function of optics. And Cody, I'm sure you see that every day I, absolutely. too. Absolutely. 
So I just encourage you guys to go out and start exploring options to upgrade your rifle scope if you've been using that scope for a long time or get something with the features that makes it a little more usable. Um, it's nice to find game, but it's it's always better when you can when you can harvest them cleanly too. So I just encourage everybody just to keep keep trying to better your equipment because you have a better experience in the field. I think that's a great advice there. Guys, I really appreciate both of you coming on. Uh, to the listeners, I really appreciate the loyal support that you give this podcast. I want to give a quick shout out. I've already talked about Go Hunt. I've talked about the optics department. My friend Cody Nelson, 20 plus years. I was in his wedding. We've been great friends for a long time. It's probably closer to 25 years yeah. now. We're getting older every day. <laughs> um, guys, reach out to Cody, uh, 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. Uh, also, you can send him an email. Now, if you call him on the phone, he's going to pick up that phone. If you email him, he's going to get those emails. Email him at optics at gohunt.com. Also, I'm going to throw out here and blow up his cell phone. If you need to text him, if it's after hours, if you want to call him, if you want to talk to him, call him 602-399-3699. Uh, truly, every single day I get a text message or a email or a direct message on Instagram, how Cody has helped someone get better. Uh, please use him as a resource. Uh, he is very genuine and he does a great job at what he does. Uh, I also want to thank the other sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Kuyu is the gear that I wear on all my hunts. I've been wearing it since the end of 2010, beginning of 2011. Uh, best ultralight hunting gear on the market. Go to kuyu.com. That's K-U-I-U.com to find out about the best ultralight hunting gear on the market. I also do a Q&A session on my Instagram about two or three times a week where I answer questions uh, in regards to all things, but a lot of Kuyu questions come in. Make sure you tune into that. I want to thank phonescope.com. Use the jscott19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. I use phonescope for all my digiscoping and, and pictures and, and videos on my Instagram account come from the phonescope. I use the jscott19 promo code, save 10%. And I want to finish by saying thanks to onxmaps.com. I use Onyx Maps for all my hunts, all my fishing trips, and I also use it in my real estate business. Uh, you go to onyxmaps.com, use the jscott19 pro, J. promo code, you're going to save 20%. It's going to give you a 20% savings there. The phone app is unbelievable. It's replaced the GPS. Uh, I like the tracking device where you can breadcrumb your way in and out. If you go on my Instagram account, I'm showing people how I use Onyx every day to plan my glassing strategies and my, my tactics and uh, my glassing points and how I'm going to get there and the different points and country that I'm going to cover. Uh, everything about it from the aerial to the, um, the topo to the hybrid mode, uh, the measuring line distance tools. I love the ability that I can share a waypoint with Cortland or Cody and say, I've got a big buck, here's where he's at. Or I've, I'm on a point, I can see a big buck come to me, I can share the waypoint and the guys show up. I love Onyx Maps. Use the jscott19 promo code. Guys, I appreciate you supporting all of these different sponsors. I hear from the sponsors every day about the support that you give them. Again, if you guys have any questions of me, you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com or send me a direct message on Instagram. Uh, that's at jscottoutdoors. Guys, until then, to both of you, God bless. And Thank for those deer much, hunters Jay. that are starting tomorrow, get after them. And Good luck. It's it's a great time of year. Get on, Jason. I appreciate yeah, it, Jay. Put Thank the, you. Uh, put the eyes on them. Let's do yep. it. Yep. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Jay. Okay.